Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Digital CXO Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Fizard, and my guest today is Dan Kirsch, Managing Director for TechStrong Research and arm of TechStrong Group, publisher of DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, and of course, Digital CXO. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Excited to be here. All right, let's dive in. You guys have a new report that you put out, and you're talking about the software economy and application testing and DevOps and how all that's coming together. And I'm curious, in this report, do you see testing and DevOps starting to merge further together, or are they still somewhat distinct and separate processes? So what, what I thought was interesting, you know, oftentimes people in DevOps say testing's a bottleneck, it's it's a checkbox, we, we need to do testing for compliance. What we saw in that study is really a growing appreciation of testing, uh, that that testing, that professionals that do testing are professionals or DevOps professionals, and testing is one of the contributors that um leads to the ability to quickly release high quality software. So we actually asked um, people whether testing was a benefit or a bottleneck. And to our surprise, um, I believe it was 78% of people said it's a benefit, which seemed high, but but good. And there was a general acceptance that uh, people are shifting left and, and actually adopting shift left. It's not just a uh, sort of a top-down mantra, but um, and. Part of that is that testing is being done earlier in the uh, DevOps process, rather than you know let's develop it and then throw throw the code to testing and and the documentation team as the last step. And do you think that is a result of this shift towards what you guys are calling the software economy? Other people call it digital business transformation. Um, is that? you know, a result of something where the organization at the top is fundamentally changing. And then as a result, we're starting to see more convergence of testing in DevOps. Or do you think that this is more likely just the fallout of something that we've been kind of banging about now for the better part of 10 years and it's finally coming together? No, I, I think it's definitely the understanding of the software economy. This whole idea that Every business is a software business. You, you live and die on the quality of your software. It doesn't matter. You know, the, the uh, retailers understand e-commerce, but you know, local car dealerships need to be software companies. Um, you know, fast food restaurants are software companies. So this whole idea that you know your revenue is dependent on the quality of your software. Are people making a better effort to make a first impression with that software? Or are they still kind of throwing stuff over the wall and almost testing on the end user themselves and then seeing how it goes? Because a lot of times you talk to developers and they're like, well, we'll fix that bug in the next scrum. But I wonder if there's less tolerance for that. Yeah, I, th I think that especially, you know, developers might still sort of take that approach because they're, they're technical, they understand software glitches. But end users, customers have zero tolerance for software problems. I mean, it takes it takes two seconds to download a new app on your phone, and it takes one second to delete it. So if you have a software issue on your phone, uh, or or on your computer or a web app, customers are quick just to abandon it. So they have basically zero tolerance for software problems. 
as a result of all that, do you think business executives need more visibility into the software development process? We talk about things like value stream management in the land of DevOps, but it's not clear to me that business people understand how to translate the KPIs that we track in the DevOps world into something that matters to the business world. And is there a gap there? Yeah. I mean, we're seeing a growing trend in observability uh, in various technologies that try and normalize the data coming out of DevOps tools. Because I mean, it's, it's not realistic that you're going to have an executive team understand the data coming out of testing tools or, or bug spotting tools or developer um, tools. It, all, all that data is stuck within these various uh, line of business business ap- applications and, and frameworks. So what we're seeing is a growing need to create dashboards and reports so that people can look at DevOps data across the board. So for instance, you might have a marketing team needs to understand DevOps data because they need to see you know, what are the new features coming out. At the same time, uh, a cu- customer success manager needs to be able to, to talk talk in an informed way to clients and say, yeah, the, the feature request that you, um, that you requested is you know, two weeks out and they, they need the ability to, to view DevOps data without really understanding code and, and, and all the uh, details. Is there some way to create a dashboard or do you think people are going to do that on the business side that correlates to these DevOps KPIs and are they going to monitor that in real time, or is it still in their mind, the software development is on some sort of waterfall approach and they look at a project management spreadsheet and they hope it all works out? Or do you think that there's going to be this convergence of the business now revolves around DevOps, as it were? You know, I think I think figuring out what those KPIs are is still a challenge because, you know, it's not how many times did you update this application a week or, you know, updating an application is great, but it needs to be for a purpose. So, so a lot of the DevOps um, KPIs or, or metrics that they look at are, you know, uh, how often an application is updated and how often it's put into production. And, and those type of KPIs aren't business focused. So I think there needs to be sort of an aligning between DevOps and the business on how, how you um, how you identify success with DevOps. And a lot of that comes down to satisfying customer and partner demand and also internal demand. I talked to this one fellow and right after COVID, they started launching a lot of digital initiatives. And now there's so many projects going that they've kind of lost track of what they're doing and what the relationship between these different things are. Is there a need to kind of reset, you think, right now where people are as we head into 2022 for managing all these projects? Yeah, I mean, that, that again, uh, harkens back to this need for the business and the uh, dev side of the house to work to work together. I mean, for years, we've said that the um, you know, IT wants a seat at the table. They, they have a seat at the table, you know, just like what we're talking about with the software economy, IT sort of... Um, runs the business in many ways. At the same time, they can sort of get lost in their own processes and um, and lose lose the um, sight of the ultimate goal, which which are business goals, not technology goals. So I, I think it comes down to really 
putting together teams that have um, members of the team are both business professionals and, and IT. I think at this point in our lives, we were supposed to have flying cars and IT was supposed to be easy, and I see neither. Um, in fact, what I see is IT is more complex than ever. I see microservices-based applications that are hard to build and maintain, being constructed using containers that are ripped and replaced, being deployed alongside monolithic applications, and none of that stuff ever seems to go away. Is it really possible to function as a software company when you have all these different architectures, or are we asking too much of people? Yeah, I mean, going back to this uh, the study we were doing, we actually asked, um, is containerization making testing more easier? And about half of the respondents said containerization is making it easier, and half said it's making it more difficult. So, so there aren't clear answers. A lot of it comes down to what's, it, what's your uh, company's approach. So, for instance, with containerization, are you just containerizing monolithic ap applications or are you really breaking down the applications into services, modernizing applications, or are you sort of putting a, a wrapper around poor processes and kicking the can down the road? So, so a lot of it, and at the same time, you can't, can't boil the ocean. You can't do everything at the same time. So, so there is a need for, um, you know, band-aids and, and eventually those, those band-aids will, uh, will be problematic, but you, but you can't do everything at the same time. I get your point about now at the same time. I also understand, though, there's going to be a lot of dependencies between these different applications. And some people could argue that if I stick a monolithic app in a container, I've just created the world's largest microservice. But at the end of the day, it connects to all these other different things. And when one uh, has an issue, they won't fall over, but the performance degrades to the point where it's very hard to find the root cause of these issues. Do you think we're going to have to go figure out some way to not just automate the testing beforehand, but go think about how are we going to discover all these issues once things are deployed in production? Because I think once you get past 100 microservices, it's going to be an issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it all comes down to machine learning, AI, and, and AI ops, which is, I mean, the, the amount of data and logs coming off of these different uh, applications and a APIs and systems and cloud environments, there's way too much data. You, you're not going to understand um, the dependencies. You're not going to understand if, you know, if one API goes down, how is that going to impact your environment? So, so one of the emerging... Uh, trends that we're seeing is AI ops, which means that you're, um, which is basically a modern IT ops approach where, where you have a huge set of data and the, and the system learns what, what normal looks like. And then it can help you, um, team, your operations teams spot developing problems before they become a, uh, a disruption. Do you think people believe in AI ops? Some folks I talk to are a little skeptical of the whole machine learning AI mindset. Other folks are saying you need to give it a chance. It's like hiring a junior employee and it takes the better part of a year to get that system to learn what its job function really is. Um, where are we on this AI ops curve? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're still really early because there's a lot of skepticism. I mean, people who've 
made a career out of out of <coughs> IT operations. Say, you know, how, how could this machine learning um, solution take the place of I? You know, I've got twenty years of experience. I know when this um, COBOL application starts acting funny. How, how is the this machine learning um, solution gonna, going to help? And the, the way we see it is AI ops and, and these ML-based solutions aren't meant to automate everyone out of a job. They're not, they're not meant to replace humans and human expertise. What they're meant to do is a couple things. One is ingest just massive amounts of, of log data and other types of data that it's just impossible for a human to be able to do that. And then the, se- the second thing is to correlate that data in ways that humans can't do. Then what we have is the role. The role of the of the human or, or of the employee is to figure out is to give everything context. So so if the AI ops system is flashing red, the human might might say, "Gee, this this is an emerging issue," or they might say, "This is not an issue. We've seen this before. We know we know what's causing this um, this potential uh, problem that that the system is flagging." So I think it's all about the about employees working alongside automated AI-based systems. For all that automation, though, we still need people to make things work. And there is this great resignation phenomenon going on, and I'm sure it touches some IT folks who are probably tired and fed up along with their security counterparts. Um, Do you think we have something of a labor crisis on our hands? And can we accomplish all these grand plans we have if we don't have enough people to make it happen? Well, and a lot of that comes down to what are the jobs that people want to do. So, so we don't have people lining up to do, um, you know, really data intense IT jobs where you're just looking at logs all day, and that that's not an attractive job for someone that went to college or has an alternative education. They, they don't want to sit there all day with their eyes, um, you know, spinning around look at looking at logs. That that's where automation comes in because what it allows is like a junior analyst let's look at for instance in the security space you have these security operations centers um staffed by analysts they level one level two level three analysts so a level one analyst is very junior um and they're triaging incidences they're they're looking at a lot of data what where the ai and ml really helps is that up levels that level one analysts, and they're actually able to contribute meaningfully to the team because they've got this system that can, that can help to help them understand what they're seeing. Do you think as we go along, however, that that level one analyst may wind up being someday soon, some sort of avatar that's just answering all the rote questions that people get or want to ask? And there is no level one analyst because everybody who's working is a level two or work on level three for humans because that's where the more complex issues are. But it seems like everything that is like, you know, I lost my password to um, where's which printer is mine could be handled by an avatar someday soon. Yeah. I mean, I, I think avatars are, are growing in popularity. I'm, I'm skeptical of, um, you know, the, it's a cute technology. It's It's nice. I mean, I do think that humans want to want to know whether they're interacting with a bot or a human. They don't want to f- 
feel tricked. Um, you know, if you're, if you're using Siri, it's great. You don't have to be polite, but, um, but yeah, but, and you can get right to the point. You don't have to say thanks or anything like that. You just, you just get to the point at the same time. Um, so I don't think people want to be tricked. Um, but there are instances, you know, for instance, the, the systems are only so good. So if you ask Siri, show me restaurants that don't serve pizza, it's just going to show you pizza. And there's been, you know, decades of, of R&D have gone into Siri and we're still at that level. So I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of work yet to be done. On the other hand, routine tasks like password resets, uh, there's no reason why the vast majority of a company's internal password resets shouldn't be done in an automated way. All right. So we've established that the business is more dependent upon IT than ever. But let me ask you this. Is now the best time to be in IT or maybe the worst time to be in IT? I, I don't think there's ever a bad time. If you're interested in job security, I'm not sure there's ever a bad time to be in IT. However, it's a changing time. I mean, people need to be ready to upskill themselves, learn, learn different um, learn different skill sets. So if, if we're looking, we've talked a bunch about AI and data. If we're talking about um, data scientists, you know, a few years ago, the hottest people to uh, employ were, were new PhDs, didn't matter their discipline. They could have gotten a PhD in chemistry or in um, biology. It, it didn't matter as long as they were data savvy and could work massive spreadsheets companies were lining up um, with their pockets open to, to pay these folks. Now, now we're seeing the pendulum swing. Instead, companies want um, data-savvy folks that understand the business problem. Because at the end of the day, that, what happened was all of these really data-savvy PhDs were great at building theoretical models. After two years, none of the models went into production. And these companies are paying these folks a lot of money to for business results. So now what we're seeing are those with um, um, business skills having a desire to, companies want them to, to be data savvy. And so for instance, we're seeing developers get more and more into the data science space. And they might not be data scientists, they might not solve cancer, but they, they can figure out um, how to direct a multi-million dollar uh, direct mailing campaign um, with just about the same accuracy as a data scientist. And, and at the same time, they understand the business problems. All right. Well, I'm hoping someday soon that I'll just be able to describe my intent and something will magically happen on the IT side that doesn't require a small army of people to do something. But in the meantime, it still requires a significant amount of work. So we'll see where we go. And I'm pretty sure we'll be having the same conversation five years from now. But we will all remain optimistic as it is. Dan, thanks for being on the show. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thanks for listening to our show. On the Digital CXO website, you can find complete episodes as well as show notes with links to the stories we discussed today. And you can follow us on your favorite social media platform and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We'll see you all next time. And thanks for listening.